0: Good evening. I hope I got it. There we go. I turned it on right. Good. I can't tell you how many times uh, turning on a mic and all the churches we speak in brings a lot of fear. (laughs) Do I have it on right? Is it ready? Uh, I I was so excited that uh, Brother John asked me to preach this evening. I was telling Ashley today, it seemed like forever ago when he sent me the text asking, and here it is already. Um, We're going to be in John 11 tonight, and as you're turning there, um, uh, I can't do my missionary duty without giving you a quick update. (laughs) I want to say thank you so much for all your prayers and all your care for us. We are uh, close to 70% of our uh, goal, and we hope to have a great fall. And if we do, and, and all the churches that we have been in this summer and this fall take us on, we ought to be able to leave by February of next year. Um, At the latest, we're looking at maybe uh, March and April. Uh, As a planner, as someone who wants to know when and where and what is going to happen, this is not the job (laughs) for me because it's like nailing jello to a wall. It's just very difficult to pinpoint when we're going to leave. But if God provides, we should be able to leave uh, the first part of next year, Uh, hopefully, definitely by, uh, by spring. So uh, be in prayer for us. Um, here are a few things that you can pray for us. Um, number one, perseverance. Uh, we have not felt the burn of uh, being on the road along, uh, all this time until recently. And we're really starting to feel, uh, I tell people all the time, I have senioritis. I'm ready to graduate, ready to move on to the next step. So just pray that we will persevere and just keep on keeping on. You can also pray for peace, that uh, we would just have peace in our home. And in our our family, and as we travel down the road, that we would be at peace with the speed that God has us going. It's very difficult. It's a very difficult thing we wrestle with all the time. We want to get out ahead of God, and we have to be at peace and be at rest and wait on Him to uh, in His timing. I've said a million times, He's already raised every dime we need. We're just out looking for it, and we're looking for it really hard. Okay, (laughs) so also. Uh, just also pray for us physically. Uh, it seems like every time we get on the road, somebody gets sick. And the worst time in the world to be sick is on the road when you need to be preaching. You need, people need your time. And you, you've worked for a couple of years to get into a church. And being sick is just not an option. So pray for those three things. To persevere, for us to have peace, and for our physical well-being. And we know you're praying. I'm looking forward to, <clears throat> I, I dream all the time about being in London and what God's going to do there. And I, the thing I'm most excited about is that day when the first group from Bologna comes and works alongside us. Because we are going to go to London. We are going to preach the gospel to people. And people will get saved through your giving and through our work and through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never doubt that. And I thank you, church. All right. So John 11. You're going to have to wait just a little bit longer before we get there because uh, I want to get into the, to the intro. I want us to think just a moment about uh, the wonderful godly couple of Sarah and Abraham, just for a moment. The, this couple is two of the most important figures in the Old Testament, and you could say the Bible. Both were considered to be extremely faithful and obedient followers, followers of God throughout their lifetime. In the, face of, in the face of so many challenges and trials, they remained devoted in their commitment to God. Now, if you remember, God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. And that he would be blessed. And you can read that in Genesis 12, verse 2. However, when it came to the promise, and when it came time to believe the promise of God that he made to them concerning the birth of their son, They couldn't quite bring themselves to truly believe it would happen. And remember, they had already taken it into their own hands and produced Ishmael uh, with Sarah's servant. And so they already tried to get a little bit ahead of God. They'd already tried to figure things out themselves, and that wasn't right. And for the most part, they were what we call good Christians, okay? They went to church every week. They loved the Lord and all that. Except when it came time for God's promises to be fulfilled, they had a hard time dealing with it. In fact, I think they thought God was great, but could he really, especially at their advanced age, do what he said that he promised he would do? In fact, when God told them the promise, what did they do? Anybody remember? They laughed. Okay? That's bold. (laughs) To laugh in the face of God. In Genesis 18, and and verse 13, it says, And the Lord said unto Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely uh, bear a child, which I am old? And then God says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then, in my own little country boy mind, I think, uh, he, he says, Let me tell you what. At an appointed time, I'm going to return to you And according to the time of life, Sarah shall have a son. Laugh all you want, doubt me all you want, but my promises always are true. You know, we fall in the same trap. We speak so many things about our faith in God on a daily basis. We affirm that God is all knowing, He's all powerful, He's everywhere. We believe He turned water into wine, He walked on water, He created the heavens and the earth, He brought the dead back to life, and even saved us from our sin and from an eternal hell. We say God will provide. Those those are almost like throwaway statements. God will provide. God will provide. We say phrases like God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, right? We sing songs that speak of his greatness, of his faithfulness, of his love, of his compassion, of his grace, and of his mercy. And then in the next breath, we doubt him we doubt him. You know, there are no super Christians. There are flawed human beings who've been saved by grace doing the best that we can. But I believe we can do better than with one side of our mouth saying God is great and the other side of our mouth saying, yeah, but. I wonder if he can do it. I wonder if he will do it. Uh, Bobby, thanks for quoting so much Spurgeon this morning. I, uh, you know, just just type Spurgeon quotes, and you'd be all day and all night, and the next day reading them. But I have a wonderful, uh, another wonderful quote from uh, Pastor Spurgeon. He said, "Doubt. Think about doubt as a as a person. It helps me get my mind around it. Doubt discovers difficulties which it never solves. It creates hesitancy, despondency, despair. Its progress is the decay of comfort, the death of peace." He says, believe, now that is a word which speaks life into a man, but doubt nails his coffin. Preparing to move to London, I've, uh, I've read lots of books. I've read about their history, about the wars, about the religious history. I've studied maps. I, I've done everything I can to prepare. I've been on two survey trips and I've spoken to tons of, of pastors and missionaries and laymen uh, who live in London, who were born and raised in London on these trips. And in talking to them and in talking to many, many thousands of people on the road, I, I've heard this one thing permeate everything. That Europe, and specifically England, is very hard and cold toward the gospel. And that if we just reach a few, verbatim I've heard this a thousand times, if we just reach a few We'll be doing better than most. I do not accept that. I do not accept that. But I have met many, many people, laymen, missionaries, and pastors, specifically there, who have taken that as their mantra. And as a result, in some cases, very little gospel result, can be found in London and England and around the continent. Now, hear me out. Small numbers are not necessarily an indication of failure. Just as large numbers are not an indication of success at all. But if small numbers, a small result, are a result of a small faith, then there is a problem. And one of the problems that we face when we think about the greatness of God and what He can do and what He will do is we grab a hold of what, something that I call the sin of small. And the sin of small can destroy God's work before it even begins, and it will do so because it has its basis in doubt. We say we are people of faith, but we allow doubt to dictate who our God is. We serve a big God, and our faith should be equal to Him, not less than, equal to Him. You see, we should always start with a big vision for what God has called us to do. When we think big, I'm not saying think big because it's some cool or hip, newfangled way to do faith and religion, but vision for what God has called us to do demands a big vision, no matter what it is. We shouldn't just say great things about our Lord without putting our faith and what we say into action. You have to put your faith where your mouth is. Don't say you believe if you don't really believe. And if you don't believe God will do what he says he will do, then ask God to grow your faith. I'm here to tell you, Ash and I live every day with doubt at the doorstep, banging on the door to let him in. We spend every day saying, God, I believe you will do this, but help me believe. It's a daily wrestle with this, being This thing called doubt, and it's real, and it will not go away if we just say nice things, if we just say we believe, but we don't have any actionable faith. Our faith in God and what we, what we can accomplish should be within the phrase, how many of you have heard, beyond the shadow of a doubt, right? Beyond the shadow of a doubt means that we are certain beyond any doubt that what we believe is true. So in light of, of God himself, if we say, I believe in God without the, beyond the shadow of a doubt, we ought to be certain what we believe, who God is, and what he can do beyond the shadow of a doubt. We believe in God, but do we believe him beyond the shadow of a doubt? And tonight, I've, I've titled the message, within the shadow of a doubt. This being a Sunday night crowd... I I knew I was preaching to a Sunday night crowd. And you being here tells me your faithfulness to God. And so I know that the majority of us know God in a personal relationship. And I would easily say that those who come back on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights are the most faithful in the church. You're the lifeblood of the church. And as I prepared this message with that in mind and for this reason, I wanted to challenge you this evening to have a bigger and a more doubtless faith and the God that we say is so great. And I want you to f- go further than you ever thought you could in the Lord. And this life we've been, has been given to us not for our pleasure alone. It's not about more money in our bank account. It's not about pursuing the American dream. This life is about what we can do for the Lord. And if we let it, doubt will destroy God's plan for us. And from our passage tonight, and I am getting there, I promise you're going to see five mistakes that believers make when we allow doubt to rule our hearts instead of faith. So let's look at John 11. We're going to start in verse 17. Please bear with me. I have wrestled with this, but we're just going to read we're just going to read it, okay? And I think it'll, it'll help us make better sense of what we're talking about. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, this is the story of Lazarus. Okay, when Jesus came, he found uh, that he had already been in the tomb, that is Lazarus, for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary, around Martha and Mary, to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way secretly, called Mary her sister, saying, Teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were... With her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, By this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he, he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. May God bless the reading of his word this evening. The first mistake we make, and we're going to see these mistakes made in the characters in this story, is we doubt, number one, we doubt his timing. We doubt his timing. In verse 21 and 32, the sisters say identical statements. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now that seems like a faith-filled statement, but it is not. Martha and Mary certainly believed that Jesus was the Messiah and was God himself, but they doubted Jesus could do anything at this point. Not even Jesus could do anything at this point. Lazarus was dead, and there was, of course, nothing Jesus could do now. These sisters obviously believed Jesus could have healed Lazarus, but only if he had arrived in time. They believed he could have cured their brother from whatever eventually took his life, because they tell Jesus, if if you had been here, if you had been here, however... Their faith was limited because they doubted Jesus' overall ability and his ability to bring Lazarus, even though dead, back to life if he so desired. They thought it was too late now, even for Jesus. They doubted his timing because he got there late. I mean, that calls into the question who he is and everything he does. They said, "If you had been here, he would not have died." It's like saying as I just I mentioned earlier God is so great but he's not going to he's not going to mess with this problem. This problem's too big for him. That problem's too big for him. And so we don't pray. We don't seek the Lord in it. Because there's no way he could intervene at this time. And we doubt his timing. If we serve a God who's everywhere, who's all-knowing and all powerful, his timing is never wrong. It's our thinking that always has to be wrong, right? So the first mistake we, mistake we make is we doubt his timing. The second mistake we make is we doubt his meaning. We doubt his meaning. So in verse 23-24, Jesus tells Martha, Martha, your, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know, you know that he will rise again in the resurrection. I, I believe that. I'm all on board, Jesus. Jesus. And he's like, no, I'm talking about now, okay? That was his whole purpose. When Jesus arrived, he met Martha who on the road, which I'm sure she was both happy to see him, but also a little frustrated that why wasn't he here early enough, in her opinion, to have done anything? And Jesus tells her that Lazarus will rise again. And, and it's kind of like sometimes when you're grieving and you've lost a loved one and you say, they say, you're in a better place, and you're like, I know, but I kind of want him here now. You know, Jesus like, he's going to rise again. Be at peace, Martha. He's going to rise again. She's like, I know. But why weren't you here on time? That's what I'm sure, it, like every other human being would think in that situation. I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus must, must have thought, no, no, Martha. He says, again, in 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. What he's saying is, this situation that he's in doesn't really touch him, Martha. You know, if you have, have some faith that I can do whatever I want to do in this situation. It's not about timing. Please understand what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to teach you. And I'm certain that grief played a major role in Martha's mindset in this moment, but it also gives us a glimpse into what she really thought and maybe the strength of her faith. A deeper look, if you if you look at verses twenty two and twenty or twenty one and twenty two, Martha said to Jesus, "Lord, if you had been here, as I've mentioned, my brother would not have died." And then she says, "But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you." Now, a lot of people have a lot of different interpretations of this scripture. It seems to mean that. She has a lot of a, a great faith. But if you compare everything else, she says, I, I don't think that's the case. I think she, the statement, even though I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you, was not really a statement of her faith in His abilities, but more a statement akin to how often we misuse Romans eight twenty eight and Jeremiah twenty eleven in, in difficult situations. You know, all things will work out. You know, you're here and now everything will be smooth. That really wasn't a statement of my deep. Uh, big faith that you can do whatever you want to do. It's, I know you're here. You can work things out. Sometimes we take scripture and we just fling it out and we really don't have a really deep seated belief in what we're saying. We just know that's the right thing to say at the moment. And that, I feel like that's kind of the situation that's going on here is that <clears throat> she's, she's slipping back into those, those Sunday school type answers that, that saying what we want to hear. Possibly that she, you know, like I said, she meant that maybe he could make this situation better moving forward. Martha heard what Jesus was saying, but didn't understand his true meaning. So focused was she on the events of that moment that she could not comprehend the deeper, weightier things that Jesus was trying to say. So not only do we doubt his timing like Martha and Mary do, did, not only do we doubt his meaning like Martha did, but we very often often make the mistake of doubting the power of Almighty God. If we pick up in 34 through 37, he says, "Uh, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come see. And Jesus wept. And then the Jews who were in the the funeral uh, party saw Jesus' love for him. And some of them said this, could not this man... Who opened the eyes of the blind have also kept this man from dying. So we step back a moment from the inner circle into the outer circle and we get a glimpse of what the crowd around the situation was, was thinking. Think of Mary and Martha as you know, the family who is grieving and the outer crowd is like the church who's come to support them. Some of the people at the funeral had heard or even witnessed Jesus' miraculous powers, they mentioned Jesus' healing of the blind. He can heal the blind, but he can't get here on time? Couldn't he have healed this guy? Why is this happening? Everybody's sad and weeping, and why isn't he? I mean, what's going on? You know, this is a real keen insight into why Jesus didn't go around doing miracles for everybody in every situation and wasn't, you know, a miracle giver uh, every day, every moment of every day. Because it wouldn't have mattered. Miracles are not what led people to believe in him. They were an expression of his power and his might. Even here, people had seen or heard that he he healed the blind, but in this moment, they still doubted that he had the power over death itself. They doubted his timing, they doubted his power. Remember, in, in fact, Jesus doesn't have to be physically present while he was here on earth. To heal someone. Remember in Luke 7 when the Roman centurion's servant was about to die from his illness and Jesus healed the man without ever going into the house? In fact, the centurion was so humbled and said, I don't even deserve to have you in my house. If you'll speak it, he'll be healed. And he did, and he was. Jesus was so impressed at that faith. what Faith in what? In his power. And in here in this, state, in this passage, we see an expression of how doubt can diminish our view of Christ himself. When we we allow ourselves to doubt what God can do and will do and might do, we diminish, yes, our thought of him, but Him himself in our minds. He's not just powerful. He has all the power. You understand the difference between being powerful and having all the power? That's the difference between a guy who can can bench 500 pounds and God who can, you know, hold the whole universe in his hands. That's a big difference. That's the God we serve, and when we doubt what he can do, we make him small and not big like he should be. The people knew very well that Jesus could do miraculous things, but they doubted him all the same. All the same. Have you ever prayed and you get through praying, and you're like I just don't know. I just don't know. It's almost like you just erased what you just prayed in faith. So, our fourth mistake number one, we doubt his timing. We doubt his meaning. We doubt his power. And fourthly, we doubt his actions, what he does. In verse 38 and 39, then Jesus again groaned in himself, came to the tomb, and we, we learned that Lazarus is buried in a cave, and a stone lays against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha pipes up and says, uh, Lord, you know he's been in there four days. He, he's, he, he probably stinks by, by this point. Um, as if Jesus didn't know that. Uh, but she, she steps in and she says, wait a minute, what are we doing? It was so far be, beyond their ability to believe Jesus could do what he wanted to do at this point that They were confused by his request to remove the stone. Like, why in the world do you want to do that? I can hear Martha saying, do you realize how long he's been in there? They could not understand why he was doing what he was doing. And partly, overwhelmingly, because they were so wrapped up in in what they perceived going on and in their doubt that they couldn't see the greater things. They couldn't see the deeper things. If Martha had truly believed that, that Jesus could do something, she'd be like, all right, y'all, y'all about to step back. Something big is about to happen, you know? But she's like, whoa, 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 stop. She didn't understand what he was doing. She doubted what he was doing. If she had truly had a doubt-free faith, then his request wouldn't have seemed so strange, but perfectly sane. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been guilty of saying, in reference to maybe some really hard luck case out there, you know, why are you sharing the gospel with him? You know, surely he's way too far. You know, you, you might see a homeless man on the road say, no, I'm not going to give the gospel to him. I'm going to give it to somebody who, who has it going on or, or has a better shot of accepting this gospel. He'll never accept Christ or she'll never accept Christ. You know, you got to pray for somebody who is a better has a better shot. You know, we may not have voiced it, but maybe we have thought it before. Okay, maybe we thought it before. He's they're too far gone. God, God will never reach him. God will never reach him. He reached Paul, didn't he? Saul, right? There's nobody, nobody too far gone. So, in the same vein, Lazarus is lying dead in the grave, and they're like, uh, "He's dead." He's dead. What, what is he going to do? Why are we here? You know? Uh, everybody's back at the house. We should be there. Why are we here? He's too far gone. Let's move on. Lazarus is dead and in the grave, just like we are in our sin. Jesus shows up and calls into life, and here he comes. How could this dead man rise from the grave only? Through the power of a great God. We are called to proclaim the gospel among the nations. We are to share the life-giving call and the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are dead in their sins. Many will be saved. Many will come to new life in Him. But not if we don't believe in the power of God to change lives. I know I've probably said this here before, but I, I, I preach this in every church. In Revelation, there, there's a, that, that glorious scene where all the saints are singing praise to God saying, Thou art worthy to, to, to take the scroll because you have, you have saved us from every people and place and country and nation and everywhere. Do you know who the saints are that are singing praise unto God in that, in that, era, that, that verse? There are all of us who have accepted Christ. And when you support missions and when you tell people about Christ and they get saved, it's a future scene of where those people end up. Does that make sense? It means that what we do, and I say this all the time, what we do is not in vain. When we preach the gospel and people don't respond, it's not in vain. We might reach some. We're not going to reach all, but we'll reach some. And what God has asked us to do and what Jesus is doing here is the very thing that makes This life in Christ, great. And they were not understanding what in the world he was doing. I fear that many times we don't share the gospel because we doubt the power of God to change lives. They doubted his understanding for opening the tomb because they doubted his power to bring the dead to life. When we call into question what Jesus offers and why he came, we doubt the power of God and the gospel itself. And we ought not to be making that mistake. We allow doubt to get in our way. You see, Lazarus coming forth out of the grave is the most perfect analogy of what happens to us When we received Christ, we who were dead in our our transgressions and sins were were made new, okay? We had no ability to save ourselves until Christ died on the cross for us. And yet, we look at this situation and we see the doubt of why he's doing what he's doing. So we see that we doubt his timing, we doubt his meaning, we doubt his power, we doubt his action. If you still have your Bibles open, I want you to go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 11. If we go back to the beginning of this story, we'll see the very first doubt, which is number five, that we doubt his knowledge. When we go back to the beginning of 11, we'll even see, we'll we'll become more informed as to how Jesus works. Jesus hears about Lazarus being sick uh, through a message sent by Mary and Martha. Jesus tells his disciples that the reason Lazarus' sickness was not for his death, but for the glory of God. They would see the glory of God through the resurrection of Lazarus, and most likely by the time the message of Lazarus' sickness had reached Jesus, he was already dead, it was already done, it was already set up for him to go down there. Now let's pick up at verse 1. Now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I will go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And then Thomas, who is called the Twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. His disciples were not excited about going back to the Jews, back to Judea. They had heard what they all felt about Jesus. They feared that Jesus might be stoned. In recognizing those fears, Jesus gives them an analogy, kind of like a little parable. He says in verse 9 and 10, in his own way, that as long as the Father has work for him to do, as long as his time is not nigh, no harm would come to him. And they could go on about their business. If you look at verse 9 and 10, that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus tells them that Lazarus is merely sleeping, but the disciples did not catch what he was saying. I mean, it went right over their heads. Lazarus was dead, and that was perfectly according to the Father's design. In many ways, if you compare the first 16 verses with the last of the chapter. There are many, many uh, similarities, and it almost mirrors in, in the way that they doubted him as the way that Mary and Martha and the people at the funeral doubted Christ as well. And we don't have time to, to dig into that, but there, there's a lot of similarities. The disciples misunderstood or doubted Jesus's timing. Why are we going back? They didn't understand what he was talking about. They didn't understand. Uh, his power, they doubted that. They doubted, it. why are we going back? His actions, they doubted what he knew. And so much so that Thomas tells others, all right, guys, let's go. We can just die alongside him. You know, whoo. That's the guy you want in your corner cheering you up at the end of a long day. Isn't it funny that we're talking about doubt and how it permeates our life, and when we allow it to do that, it destroys God's plans? And here we are with old Thomas, who... Man, if you're going to have a, a moniker, doubting is not the best. But here, doubting Thomas is doubting again what's about to happen. Even though Jesus has told them, we're all going to be fine. He says, let's just go and die alongside him. He had no faith in what Jesus had just said and explained. Thomas's doubt in Christ led him to cast out hope and take in worry. And we know that Thomas's doubting wouldn't end here. That it carried him all the way until he saw the scars in Jesus' hands. Now, Thomas, we don't have time to dig into it, but Thomas is a perfect example in many ways of how doubt will rob you of the glory of God in your life. You know, it is absolutely true that Jesus was going to die. It is absolutely true that many of the disciples would be martyred. That is absolutely true. In fact, the raising of Lazarus, By Christ, from the grave, was essentially the straw that broke the camel's back and led the Pharisees to plot to kill Jesus. It was the last straw for them. And you see in the scripture that it's time to get serious and take this man's life. However, that wouldn't happen ahead of the Lord's timing. When we want to throw our hands up because we don't understand what God is doing, that's the exact moment when we need to not throw our hands up, but throw our, 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 ourselves into the arms of the one who has everything under control. And so that last mistake, in case you missed it, was we doubt his knowledge. We'll say all the time, yeah, God knows everything. God knows everything. God knows everything. And in the next breath, we're doubting what he knows. We're doubting what, he's pl- what his plans are. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, kids act that way sometimes. You know, where are we going? We're going here. Are we really going there? You know, they don't want to get their hopes up. They're going to grandma's house unless it's really happening, you know. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, We're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us, we are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. And Bobby, you did a great job this morning talking about. The, the dichotomy of suffering uh, and, and, and new life in Christ this morning. Um, doing what God wants us to do, trusting him all the way, does not mean it'll be a pain-free life. But what it does mean is we're controlled by God and not by sin and not by doubt. When we doubt, we're saying that God doesn't know the future. When we doubt God, we're saying he doesn't know what he's doing. When we doubt God, we're saying he isn't strong enough. When we doubt God, we're saying he doesn't know what he's saying. When we doubt God, we say he doesn't understand what I'm going through. God has a plan for your life. However, if we are contented with merely saying we believe him and not actually walking by that faith, we will never, ever, ever prove what we say and therefore never reach the heights he has for us. So if you're content with giving lip service to the the Lord, you're going to stay right where you are. And I know that, as I said earlier, this is the core group of this church. And if this church wants to go further, it's got to start here. You've got to lay doubt down and lift up a greater faith in a great God. By the way, you can't just say, I want to be better at blank, and it just magically happens, okay? You know, I want to be more on time. I want to be a better eater. I want to be a better this. And then you don't do anything. Like, if I say I want to eat better, and I keep eating little debbies, like they're going out of style, I'm not getting anything but bigger, okay? You can't, you can't say you want to do something without have a faith that is, having a faith that is active. Okay as a missionary on the road on deputation we tend to go through a lot of crazy stuff Okay, and honestly, the only people in the world not my family, not my other friends the only people in the world that understand what I'm going through are the people who are actually going through it right now not 10 years ago, not a couple of years ago, right now and so oftentimes, when missionaries on deputation get together we, we talk, you know, it's like therapy you know Bah, 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 this guy did this and this guy did this. And we try to land on a, on a nice note, but it is, you know, we're human, okay? And because it's the only person in the world that can understand. The other day, we were visiting friends of Fort Worth who we were missionaries, and I guess everything I was saying out of my mouth was just negative, just negative, you know? And it's something I work on. But he says to me, he said, uh, Man, everything you've been saying to me is like negative. And he said, I totally get it. He said, You're bumming me out, you know? And I, I told him, I said, You know, it's something I work on. I try to work on all the time to be, to be more positive and have more joy in the Lord. And he said, and "He said, what are you doing?" I had to confess. So I'm thinking happy thoughts. You know, nothing, nothing. I was doing absolutely nothing, and you know what was happening? Absolutely nothing. Exactly what I was working toward. And so he said, "Man," and he lists a whole, whole bunch of things. Um, um, he was sharing with me that sometimes his wife gets down. So he, he, he does a lot of stuff in his own personal spiritual life to, to really fire him up in the Lord so that he can lift her up. I was like, Hey man, you're, you're, you're doing a good job. You know, (laughs) that made me feel really bad, you know, and wanted to change my life. And so I was like, of course you've got to do stuff. You've got to be active. You know, you're not just going to all of a sudden, hey, I'm going to have more faith in God, and then all of a sudden tomorrow you, you're like this, you know, really faithful person. It's not going to happen, okay? Just saying the words, that's, that's, that means nothing. And so you've got to have a plan. And, you know, I give you the Sunday school answers of read your Bible and pray and all those kind of things, but it actually is the only way that you can have a greater faith in the Lord, you know? Learn to fast. Learn to pr- pray daily. Learn to read your, read your Bible. Learn to step out in faith and actually tell people about Jesus and see how that feels instead of pretending to your friends like you do that. Okay? It feels much better to actually do it than, than to pretend that you do those things in, those Christian, in our Sunday school classes. Okay? It's never going to change. Nothing is ever going to change. You're never going to have a doubtless faith. You're never going to have a big faith in God if you don't actively work it out. In order to have a greater faith, we must actively believe. I love that phrase, actively believe. Not just say we believe, but actually do something about it. In order to have a greater faith, we must actively believe that God knows everything. Not just say it, but but know it and understand it. That God knows what he's doing. We must actively believe that God is all-powerful. We must actively believe that God never speaks an unplanned word. That what he says is true. And in order to have a greater faith, we must actively believe that God not just knows everything, but understands everything. Everything. Don't be afraid to trust the Lord, even when it's scary, even when it seems crazy, even when everyone says you're nuts, even when it doesn't seem like it's working out, or even when it's not in your timing. Trust the Lord. Believe in the Lord beyond the shadow of a doubt. Don't let doubt rob you. Don't let doubt rob you. I'm going to close with this in Psalm 56, 11. It says, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. And then it ends with, what can man do to me? We're on the Lord's side. We're on the Lord's side. We serve the God who, who uh, turned, walked on the water and then turned the water to wine. We serve a God who brought Lazarus back to life. We serve a big God. Don't suffer from the sin of small. Put your trust in him. Be not afraid. Have no doubt. And then what can even death do to us? The answer is nothing. Let's stand and pray. I want you to bow your heads and uh, after we get through praying, we'll be dismissed, but I want you to just spend a few moments this evening. I want you to confess to the Lord as your, as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed. Confess to the Lord your doubts. You know, I think sometimes doubt is is really seated deep down in pride because we don't think he can do it. and Maybe we can, maybe we can't. But maybe God's calling you to a ministry or he's, he's telling you to go tell a friend about Jesus or he's telling you to finally, finally actually pick up the Bible and read it. And you doubt if you can accomplish it. You doubt if you can stay faithful. You doubt if your friend will respond. You doubt, you doubt, you doubt, you doubt, you doubt. By the way, as you're you're praying, you're confessing this, this sin of doubt. It is not up to you to accomplish the great things of the Lord. It is you to just be an instrument, to just be used. He's not asking you to do anything but be used. Don't let doubt have any more control over you in your spiritual life beyond this point. Ask God to help. Ask God to give you faith and more faith. You'll tell him, Lord, I believe in you, but Lord, help me believe all the more. Lord, I trust you. And then tell him, but help me to trust you all the more. Lord, I count on you every day, but Lord, help me to count on you all the more. Lord, I believe you're an awesome, all-powerful God, but help me to to actively believe that. Help me, Lord, help me. And we know that you will. We know that he will. He loves you. You are his child. And if you ask for help, he will give it. And if you're here tonight as we pray, and you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, please don't doubt the greatness of God. Don't doubt what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. Step out and believe tonight. Come and talk to Brother Bobby or Brother Dan or or Brother James or myself, and we'll help you through the Bible how to be saved. And how to remove all doubt. Lord God, I don't know what's going on tonight in people's lives. What they're struggling with. I know that you know. And I know even as we pray right now, people are lifting up prayers to you. Asking for help. Asking for you to overcome their doubt. Asking for you you to help them really believe what they say they believe. And Lord, I know you have the power to work great and mighty things in our life. And you'll do that. God, I think tonight could be the stepping-off point for greater and greater things in this church because it it starts right here with your people. God, forgive us where we fail you. Help us as we walk out these doors and as we face all that we have to face this week at our work and other places to be a servant of you, to be a doubt-free believer and let that permeate our lives and let people see it on our face. God, we give you all the glory. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for your word. May it fill our minds and our hearts, and you use us this week, and we give all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.